Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to the Beyond 50 radio program. I'm Daniel Davis. On the program today, we're going to have a little bit of fun exploring the human body. That is, as you listen to the program, you can actually start thinking about exploring your own. One thing becomes evidently true, though, as we approach midlife, and that is all the different ways that we feel our body that we particularly don't enjoy, aches and pains, the feeling of not having the kind of mobility or flexibility that maybe we once had, and we come to realize just how much we took for granted. On the program today, we're going to be talking about Body Mandala, Posture, Perception, and Presence, which is the title of the book. And joining us on the Beyond 50 radio program today is Mary Bond. She's going to the originator of the manual. I want to thank Mary Bond for joining us here on the Beyond 50 radio program to talk about this wonderful book. Mary, thank you for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Daniel, for the opportunity to have the conversation. Of course. I mean, after all, conversation, I think, is something else that we take for granted, isn't it? Yes, indeed. And you certainly gave a perfect uh, introduction to why um, why we're talking. It's that we take our bodies for granted. And as we age, um, we suffer from that, I think. So. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, it's kind of funny as you get older because you now – it's, uh, it's agree, see if you agree or disagree with this statement that a lot of times people tend to feel separate from their bodies as though there's this, like perhaps a soul, if you want to call it that, and then there's your body, like they're two separate things. Do you find that often to be the case with people that you work with? I think that's the legacy of Western religion, <clears throat> is that the body has been seen to be corrupt. You know, we've learned that for a number of centuries that's been sort of drilled into us. But so spiritual experience is understood as like transcending the body. I think that's what has sort of set us up for this split, but it's not true of all cultures. Many um, more primitive cultures or more ancient cultures did not um, separate the body and spirit mind. It's all one entity really. And in fact, if you don't mind my going on in just a little bit, um, there have been developments recently in neuroscience in which body and mind are increasingly understood to be inseparable. And so part of this is because of developments in studying the effects of trauma to the body. So we now know that overwhelming experiences affect body chemistry brain organization, and movement coordination. So we're just on the edge of beginning to realize that our body and mind and spirit really are one. Well, after all, where else is the other part going to (laughs) go? We're here. We're in it. That's right. That's right. And how do we experience anything, really, through our senses? And our senses are bodily, you know. Now, Mary, if you can, uh, why don't you go ahead and please give our listeners an idea of your background, how you got started on this life path here, and uh, and how you come to uh, right body Mandela, you know, posture, perception, and presence, and how all that ties together. Okay. Um, well, I think as a little kid, I just 
had some sense of something that was guiding me, you know, some some kind of uh, spiritual or uh, presence outside or within myself, whether or not I went to Sunday school or not, it, it didn't really have to do with religion. It was just a sort of a sense that I had. And... <clears throat> And when I also took a lot of dancing lessons, so I was, you know, very physical that way. And when I was little, I remember saying that what I wanted to be when I grew up was I wanted to play the tambourine in the Salvation Army Band. <laughs> and, and I wanted to design d- dances for other people to do. I didn't want to dance myself. I just wanted to make dances. So I, in a way, I think that's what I have been doing. You know, I am shaking the tambourine for uh, people to become more bodily aware and to value body awareness as a kind of wisdom that is, we've sort of lost the language to. So that's part of my mission. But also I'm re-choreographing the way people move. I'm trying to help people understand that how they move is their posture, how they move is their self-expression. So to move more is to be more comfortable, more aware, and, you know, happier, I think. And as we age, often what we do is move way less. And I know it's hard. I mean, I'm 81, so I have to make a choice every day to move because I don't always want to. But anyway, that's a little bit of the path. <laughs> and yeah. when I graduated from, from UCLA, I had a degree in choreography, in fact, from the dance department there. And um, I met a woman named Ida Rolf, who was the originator of a manual therapy that had to do with realigning the body with gravity. It was a kind of deep tissue massage, but it was very strategic in that Um, We were trained to look at the body and how it moved and work strategically in the tissues that were preventing normal movement from occurring. And as a dancer, this was just completely fascinating to me. And nothing much else was going on in my life, so I took lessons. I joined Ida Rolf's school, which at that point in her life was a suitcase that she traveled around in gave workshops, and the one I, the first one I took was in Los Angeles and later in Big Sur. But at any rate, she um, influenced me very deeply in this path. Um, it was through that manual therapy, she called it structural integration. And later it got to be called Rolfing as a kind of a nickname. <clears throat> but receiving a lot of sessions turned my life around. So I became a practitioner myself. I trained with her. And this was, you know, 50, almost 55 years ago. And although this therapy involved physical manipulation, Rolf's goal was holistic. She talked about a more human use of human beings. And she was profoundly influenced by the spiritual aspect of yoga and other energetic practices. And she didn't talk about them because she wanted her work to be accepted by mainstream medicine. 
But at any rate, I, um, since those days, that was, gosh, late 60s, I've published three books, and all of them are designed to acquaint the general public with the idea that the idea of embodied living, because not everybody gets to avail themselves of therapy and training like I did, but everybody's body shape, their function, their rhythm, their energy can transform, can improve. So each one of us comes to that awareness in our own way, our own time. And that's kind of my path. You know, I, I did trained to do this manual therapy, but movement has always been the love that I have, that I really am inspired by helping people move differently. And um, so that's the part of the Rolf education that I became involved in. Uh, I used to be head of the movement faculty at the Dr. Ida Rolf Institute, but I no longer am there. I'm retired more or less, although I I teach online classes. So that's the story. I think that's the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, oh the, the mandala book. The mandala is, is, it's just the third book. You know, I keep writing these books and they keep getting more sophisticated and more, I think, beautiful. <laughs> so, you know, it just, I, there, there's a movement theory about how we, how we learn and change movement. It has to do with four, um, four, four different ways to what we could call presence or being embodied in your, in your body and mind together. And those four avenues are perception, you know, what you take in, what you sense. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, if you, if you, pet your little cat, you know, you sense something soft and sweet and that comes into your body, you feel it. In fact, you reach out to touch that sweet creature because of the sweetness within you that you mirror. So sensation, that's one avenue. Movement itself is an avenue, how we get from here to there. How we express ourselves, you know, how we move from here to, here to there. Are we in a hurry all the time? Are we rushed? Or are we relaxed, laid back, or are we resisting in our bodies where we're going? Like taking out the garbage, I don't feel like doing that, and so I walk differently in that case. My expression is different than if I rush to meet you because I haven't seen you for ages. And then um, the fourth avenue is just dance, how you are in your posture, basically. So that seemed to me like the four avenues of a mandala, which I suppose I should um, define mandala. <laughs> so that um, a mandala is a traditionally in Hindu and Buddhist cultures, it's a pattern of visual images that represents the connection between our inner and outer realities. So. The designs represent the human journey. And they're often used to focus attention during meditation. And they have 
often four avenues toward the center. And so these avenues towards changing movement and changing the body seems like four avenues towards our own physical and spiritual center. So that's how I came up with the idea that we could, that I could write a book that would um, lead people. That's what I hope to do in the book is lead people to more body awareness through the idea of meditating using the body as its own mandala. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, as you take, first of all, a look at the title, uh, most people, I believe, will intuitively come to understand, you know, how in touch am I really with my own body, my awareness of what's really going on? And I would think proof of that is when anything feels off or it seems random or spontaneous, like, oh, this pain just came on, your first thought is, I'm going to mm-hmm. run to the doctor. So you miss the opportunity to truly start looking into why do I feel this way? You know, what was really the cause? How long has it been there before it revealed itself? And mostly it reveals itself through pain. And so as I was uh, uh, reading through your book, uh, it was pretty fascinating because not too long ago, uh, I had suffered from sciatic pain, which is really (laughs) quite something else. And I came to realize that... Yeah, no, it wasn't sudden, but it seemed like it was sudden because I remember the night that it came on, I started having a lower back ache, sort of to the middle, but off to more of the left side. And then the next thing I know, that's when the pain started coming in. You feel the stretching like something's going to snap. And anybody who's ever had sciatic pain understands the feeling I'm talking about. And this went on for a good year. And, you know, I'm stretching and some days, you know, it seemed to go away. Other days it didn't. And then what was my first thought as well? Why don't I go see a chiropractor? So I go and I do that. And I'm seeing this person for a couple of months, at least twice a week. And although there was some relief, for the most part, it didn't seem like he was really helping with much. Anyway, putting all that aside and getting back to your book on this, What was really incredible was, uh, as you talk about in here, about walking and surfaces. Uh, In fact, uh, in in your chapter, there was a story about wearing those, uh, what do you want to call them, barefoot shoes, you know, the kind of shoes that look like a foot where you, you know, you're walking, you know, with just enough cushion and comfort that you can actually go out and walk on surfaces, hiking, things like that. And you describe how the feet you know, they're not made to uh, walk on flat surfaces like cement. You described your own experience that way. And so that being said, I was reminded that, well, here I was walking on flat surfaces for a long time. Then I got into a situation where I was walking on a lot of uneven type of surfaces. So my feet were really bending a lot more. And I think that was probably what caused the sciatic is that you know, that my body was adjusted in a particular way, the flat surfaces, the concrete, if you will. Now, all of a sudden, it's a bunch of uneven surfaces for a period of time, but intensely, and boom, that's kind of what threw things off. Would that be an accurate way to look at it? That's perfect, Daniel, because everything is connected to everything else. So when we use the feet as sort of hoofs, you know, like unmoving, that's, You know, people don't realize how movable and adaptable the feet actually are. So we walk around with them as we barely know that they're there. You know, they're down there, but we don't 
but feet are sort of, you know, put toenail polish on them and don't discuss it, you know? And so we walk around on these flat surfaces with uh, shoes to protect the feet and the feet become more and more sort of almost stupid. Like they can no longer move. They can no longer, they no longer respond to the kind of terrain that they were designed to meet. The foot is designed to grasp and pick itself up and avoid little pebbles and, you know, really be a, a sensory organ almost. And so what happened to you is that you were in that situation and the rest of your body agreed with your feet and also became less movable, specifically your sacroiliac joints up in your pelvis where your hips are, near your hips. And so when your feet had to suddenly move across this different and more interesting terrain, <laughs> your pelvis just sort of went, I don't know what to do here, <laughs> you know, stop, Daniel. <laughs> so it stopped you. So anyway, yes, your experience is right on the money. Yeah, it was pretty fascinating you know. to read that and realize, oh, okay, I see. But that's the thing is the body is very interconnected with one thing, balancing everything else. And one of the first thoughts I had when I got this book was this going back to times like, for instance, being in school, grade school, and remembering all the kids and, and even myself from time to time sitting in classroom desks, slouching. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. <laughs> that has on the body, especially if you're somebody who's in a habit of doing that. that that's going to cause some trouble over time. And again, it does it subtly until it seems like it just happens overnight. Yeah, isn't that interesting how it <clears throat> it creeps up on us and then suddenly we realize we have text neck or something, you know, a lot of pain. Well, you know, school desks, I mean, part of the problem with school is that we don't move enough. We're forced to sit there and behave ourselves and listen and learn stuff. And there's not enough breaks because education is increasingly less funded. And so the, the poor body is just put into a kind of a, a straitjacket almost, except that it's sort of a bent over one. I mean, the body, if you look at little children before they go to school, and if, you, if they haven't had some kind of major accident, it's like you can look at them and see these resilient, straight, well, curved, but, but upright and very resilient spines. It's like a four-year-old, five-year-old. They're they're just like little um, little lights in the world, and then they start to go to school, and that 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 energy in the spine just gets diminished and diminished as we sit and sit and sit, and then we start to like sitting, and then we start to buy chairs that uh, compensate. <laughs> we think. You know, we, we believe the whole hype about ergonomic chairs, that that the chair is meant to support us, whereas really what's meant to support us is our spine. But if the spine yeah. is leaning back in the chair, what does the spine learn to do? Nothing, <laughs> right? Becomes less and less able to be upright, and so it becomes more and more 
stiff in a curved position. And then we add the modern day with all these very small devices that everyone is staring at. And that narrowing of our visual and mental attention causes the body to compress even more. So here's where the idea of perception as an avenue to postural change comes in, is that the more you're focusing your awareness on a, a small, tight little screen, the smaller you actually become. You can feel that for yourself. If you just imagine holding your phone and urgently checking it for a, a message, you know, you're going to be bent over and you're going to pull your arms into your shoulders and your head down into your neck and you barely are breathing, you know. But if you open up your awareness and think about the what all the space around your body and in front of you and behind you and become a little bit more attuned to where you are as as well as what you're doing, then that brings you into a much more upright position. Am I right? Did you feel it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you can breathe more comfortably in that position. So, you know, we have an epidemic of mouth breathers now because as we close close the front of the body down into this kind of curved position with the head forward, it's very hard to breathe through the nose. And so the mouth hang open more and more. And that does all kinds of damage to the shape of the upper palate and the uh, straightness of the teeth, not to mention what it does to um, the nervous system and the lungs and everything else. So uh, although our devices are heaven sent in certain ways, they're really killing us too. So this is another one of, you know, when I said I wanted to shake the tambourine, this is one of my pet things to, to get people to look at, you know, is how the device, the material object is controlling your body rather than the way it should be, which is the other way around. The object, the phone, the computer, they are, they should be our servants, not letting, you know, making us into slaves to them. Anyway, I get I get a little excited about that topic. <laughs> I think it's great because, you, again, let, let's go ahead and start with the or not start. We've been starting on a few different things, but with the spine itself and posture and how that systemically begins to affect other areas of the body. As you mentioned, you know, our breathing, for instance, because maybe you bent more forward than you should be and not allowing your spine to be that erect posture that it was built for then you tend to find yourself shallow breathing more and and think about that systemic thing you know what would happen there if you're not taking in air the way you're supposed to and you you would kind of see how perhaps disease and i and i mean that more in the realm of dis-ease begins to come on to a point that you think I got to go see a doctor from this and you don't realize that the whole time the beginning of this whole thing was just simply by how you were sitting, what you were sitting in. 
And, you know, myself, I don't like lazy boy chairs. I just, they, they're just, they make you feel like a cream puff when you're sitting in them. So the kind of chairs <laughs> I like, I like to tend to sit up straight, you know, or at least feel like my spine is straight. And then I just feel better, you know, chairs also, mm-hmm. if you want to call it easy boy, where I'm sitting in the chair, my feet actually go all the way to the ground, <laughs> that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the importance of that because the spine, it was really an amazing chapter uh, that I was reading there and how a lot of people think of the straight column, but it's a much more sophisticated thing than that, isn't it? Yeah, much more. I mean, a simple um, metaphor um, would be like a string of beads or a string of pearls. So the spine is many individual segments and they need to all be capable of moving uh individually in relation to one another. And when that's true, then we have adaptability in our movement and we have choices about how we can move. But the more that we are still and don't move, then those segments become kind of, you could almost say glued together or Velcroed together as if it was just one object, one rod or something. And it's, it becomes sort of bent. And then we think, oh, but the spine should be straight. And someone says, well, back yourself up against the wall. And, you know, that's the example of a straight spine. But it's not accurate because the spine, uh, besides being segmented, has normal curves in it. It evolves from the time that we're in utero and are born. We're in a complete C-curve. And then we gradually, when we're born, we come out and we start to lift our head to look for our mom and to look for food. And so that develops a little forward curve in the neck. And then little by little, we're on hands and knees and we start to try and push ourselves up. And that gives us a little forward curve just above the sacrum, just above the buttocks. So we have those two forward curves and then the, there's more like a backward curve in in between in the um, <clears throat> in the area of the thorax and rib cage. But often what happens is that the the pelvis, especially in chairs that are designed to be quote unquote comfortable, the pelvis is tilted backward, and that erases that forward curve at the lower part of the spine and merges it into the uh, backward curve of the thorax. And then you're bringing yourself back into the C curve of an infant, you know? So um, seating and where the pelvis is supported by the chair has a lot to do with um, the health of the spine and the ability for the spine to be upright. Anyway, there's there's uh, so many things to think about, you know, in the spine. And I'm glad you liked that chapter. <laughs> well, you think about, you know, that's like a, uh, call it a uh, antenna communication center for the whole body. You know, it's the connection exactly. between the mind yeah. and the body itself. Now, uh, you bring up the fascia. What is that exactly? Mm-hmm. Well, fascia is basically, it's as simple as 
definition is it's connective tissue. But, um, you know, when I first studied with Dr. Rawls, connective tissue was thought of as kind of an inert subject, such substance. She somehow understood that it was important. Um, let me back up a little bit and say more about what it is. Um, it's a, a combination of collagen fibers and fluids that becomes a kind of membrane around everything in the body. So every organ, every muscle, every tube, every wire, every neurological, every nerve, every blood vessel, in fact, every cell has a surrounding of this collagenous fluid-like stuff. You know, some of it is thicker, some of it is thinner. When you develop a scar, when you've had a wound and you develop a scar, what that is is exaggerated connective tissue that, that tries to really bind that opening together. But that would be an example of really tough um, connective tissue or fascia. So um, increasingly, uh, people have begin, begun studying this substance. Um, there are now worldwide conferences every couple of years to learn more and more about what connective tissue does. You know, in, in the beginning, way back when people were studying anatomy for the first time in the 15th century, the fascia would be, you know, all thrown off into a bucket or something so you could look at the interesting organs and see what those were all about. And, but Ida Rolf, my teacher, understood that this fascia had to do with the way our bodies um, sort of hold ourselves in place. So if we're not well aligned with gravity, if we're not upright, if we have acquired some kind of curve or twist in our spine, then what happens is that the fascia in that area thickens and dehydrates in order to sort of cement that part and make it more secure. So if it's not going to move well, let's don't move it at all. Let's keep it still. Is kind of, you know, what the she thought the fascia was doing. And so part of the work of helping people become more aligned in gravity and more free to move had to do with um, rehydrating or bringing more fluids back into this dense fibrous tissue. So that was the, the manipulation that she taught us to do. And she understood that the fascia was what we were working on, not muscles. And then over, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 years after Ida Rolf died, the scientists had started to look at, at, this, um, at this substance. And about 10 years ago, it became understood that the fascia is not inert. It's not just connecting things. It, there are actually free nerve endings, which allow us to perceive ourselves inside. It's, this is called interoception. So perception of sensations within the body uh, are, are facilitated by fascia itself. So um, <clears throat> such sensations as the sensation of swelling and, and 
and sinking when you breathe. You, you know, your body sort of gets bigger and smaller with every breath. The feeling of your heartbeat tingling sometimes or heat or tightness, all these sensations that we have in our bodies, including pain. But mostly, you know, most of us have valued pain more than anything else. And there are actually so many other sensations that we can learn are useful and helpful to pay attention to. And so fascia is part of the reason why we're able to do that. Wow. I, I guess I could give you an, an example. Um, in, in a book I wrote 30 years ago or so, I, I did this little meditation in the book called Fascial Breathing. I made it up. This was long before the, the um, fascial research conferences began. But I, I, in my own body, I could feel that when I paid attention deeply to my breathing and to my whole body, I could feel the sensation of breath, that swelling and sinking sensation, all the way down into my ankles and feet. And you can too, if you just think about it. And your readers, I mean your listeners, can, can feel that. It's, it's just there to be felt. So I knew that breathing occurred in the lungs. It didn't occur in the feet. So because Dr. Rolf talks so much about fascia, I thought, well, it must travel somehow through the fascia. At that time, I didn't know about these free sensory nerve endings. But anyway, that's um, an example of, of how you can feel your body at a distance. You can feel the wholeness of yourself through this particular organ. Now, I want to touch on something here. It's, a, it's amazing when you have a medical community, especially in Western medicine, and I'm not going to say they all do this, but for to a degree, you get this feeling that there's a certain bit of, well, not a certain bit, but a lot of bias uh, that tends to lean toward how they go about practicing medicine, which to a degree was relatively created. I'll just, you know, take a shot in the last 125 years, especially with the advent of uh, the beginning of uh, what is now known as big pharma and the idea that we treat, you know, everything with drugs, for instance, vaccines, stuff like that. And there tends to be a pushback, again, not from everybody that's in, let's say, mainstream medicine, but to a degree, sort of putting down things such as chiropractic care or and one of them is rolfing. Now, describe what rolfing okay. is because look through this book that you have, Body Mandala, you begin to understand really more of the essence of what that is. And the best way I could describe it, let's say for most listeners out there who generally haven't been severely damaged, uh, you know, or traumatized in their body that they've just led regular lives that it's really all about correcting and creating balance throughout the whole body, which then tends to allow the body a to communicate with itself to basically take care of all those things that your out of alignment had created that causes you to go to the doctor to get the drugs and the prescriptions to try to alleviate the symptoms of that imbalance. If that's a correct way to look at it. 
talk about what rolfing is and how it really applies somewhat to what you have here in your book. Well, you did a really good job just now. I'm amazed. You you kind of, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I think from, from your perusal of the book, you sort of got what I was trying to do is to share Ida Rolf's message with people who don't necessarily receive the body therapy itself. And that uh, the message is that you are, you are a body and your body has wisdom and you can reconnect with it especially when you have uh, a balance and good alignment and not just alignment though not just straight straight it doesn't cut it you need to be able to be adaptable and movable so in um let me see if i can uh, give you a good example. In the chapter on um, on the spine, or there are several chapters on the spine, I think. But I talk about uh, the difference between a consegrity structure and a compression structure. So consegrity is um, a word that was coined by Buckminster Fuller, who was uh, the the designer of geodesic domes. Remember those geodesic domes? They're put. They're, they're structures that are put together through a combination of tension and compression. Um, let's see if I can find a better way to say this. So, the term. Tensegrity refers to the tensional integrity that's achieved through the balance between tension and compression. So in uh, a geodesic dome or, you know, there's little toys called tensegra toys that you give to little children to play with. What you have are rigid struts suspended between tensioned cables. Sometimes bridges are like this, formed of this kind of structure. So changing those tensional relationships between the cables allows the structure to change shape. So this is a very interesting and actually more truthful model about the way the body is put together, rather than, as Dr. Rolf herself she knew about tensegrity, but, but she preferred her own image, which was the body as a stack of blocks. But a stack of blocks is a compression structure like, like the Washington Monument. You know, it's just a stiff pole. So at any rate, um, if you think of the body as a tensegrity, in that case, the soft tissues, the the tendons and fascia and muscles, those are the tensioned parts of the body and the bones are the struts. And so we are looking at the body, beginning to look at the body that way in the, you know, in the structural integration community. And I think also increasingly in other uh, um, alternative healing methods are beginning to look at this idea towards uh, how to 
think of uh, improving the way the body is ordered. Does that make any sense to you? That, that absolutely. Concept? Yeah, and and I want to. Yeah, I was going to go ahead and, and spend the last part of the show here, uh, the last fifteen minutes that we have on uh, your book. When we talk about perception and presence, we've spent time kind of giving people an idea as you go through this detailed book about all different areas of the body, the muscles, the tendons, the skeletal structure, the skull, the feet, all of it. We've touched on quite a bit of this. There's a lot to the book, but I say to the listeners, it's a must-have in your library because it's like a wonderful encyclopedia for people to come to understand the nature of their body, who they are. As you do that, you start paying attention. You're, you're more in the moment. For instance, being present as you talk about. It was hard when I had sciatic to be present anywhere because I was so busy focused on the pain. I was just worried, is this going to get worse as I'm walking to the store? So that takes right. my mood that I just want to get through it, even just simple sitting or laying down. And you think about yeah. the perception. Oh, my God, here was a, a really cute story. As I remember one time uh, putting some laundry down on the floor by the washer and watching my wife go over, and she just simply bent over and picked it up, and I just kind of laughed in cute amusement about the idea <laughs> that that would have me to hold the can, you know, the counter, find a particular way that I could kneel down, bend just enough so I could reach mm -hmm. down and get that. My perception is damn, I want that back. <laughs> and, and it was to this day, it's just such an amusing scene. But you look at the simplicity of just that movement. And you realize when you're in a situation like I was, how much you take bending over and picking things up for granted. You know, so let's talk about the power of your body, especially when it comes to perception and presence and how it changes when those things aren't aligned. Well, first, uh, I wanted to ask, I will, but I, I wanted to ask you, how did it resolve, finally, your sciatica? Well, you know, how obviously, you? Uh, I, I would look through YouTube videos, you know, again, the chiropractic care, I, I, I felt like it sort of worked, but it really didn't. And so, mm -hmm. this is the truth. Uh, there's a company out there that creates what are called Korean massage beds. These aren't the kind that you find in the mall. These are things that you actually have to buy from somebody who either has them or maybe company direct, but it's this Korean massage bed that was developed with the chiropractic science and you lay down on this mm -hmm. thing and it has heated jade rollers uh, that actually they heat up and then they roll up and down the spine from the back of the neck or even the bottom of the skull all the way down to, I guess it would be your tailbone in that area there. And in this 45 minutes, they're also programmed to stop at certain points of the body, like acupressure points, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, I knew about mm -hmm. beds years ago, and then we moved down to uh, the Southwest, and I found somebody who was was a chiropractor, but he completely just brings people in, and his type of healing is he just uses the beds. And I said, uh -huh. I know those are going to work because I had had a really bad shoulder experience that these beds for free at the time removed. 
So I thought, I'm going to take a shot with this. And that's how I resolved it because it actually starts stretching the spine, you know, and kind of get rid of that compact, whatever it was, and kind of like correcting things. And now there's from time to time, I'll feel a little bit of pressure, but I mean, the things, the mobility, I can actually put my shorts on standing up without holding on to anything. <laughs> These were things I needed to yeah. virtually lay on the floor and get assistance from somebody else. That's how bad it got. And it's been that way yeah, for. I uh, almost a year and, 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 mm -hmm. and I've felt a lot of relief, but I'd hear people say things like, no, once you got sciatic, it's done. It never goes away. And I'm like, no, that can't be true. <laughs> anyway. So that's my story on that. No, but that's great. So, you know, it's not that, it's not that a Korean bed is going to be the answer for everybody, but what no. that was <clears throat> for you was it was a holistic approach. You know, it just, it didn't focus just on where the pain was. It, it, it gave you heat. It gave you specific pressures in different areas. And it treated you from really head to toe because your whole body was on it. Right? So what I'm mm -hmm. saying is that it also probably brought more awareness to your body as a whole. You know, that, that, that you weren't. You know, when you got off the bed, you were no longer just a, a sore leg, right? Right. <laughs> you were a you were a man then. You were a whole person again. So, <clears throat> I think that's uh, that's what I'm trying to help people discover as they go through this book. I'm not trying to give answers. I'm trying to offer almost like a smorgasbord of opportunities to uh, experiment and explore different aspects of your anatomy I, with just, some, just enough information about the anatomy to empower you to understand what you're doing. I think that's one of the mistakes of, of our medical profession and partly has to do with um, everything being in such a big hurry and motivated by money. Nobody has any time to really explain anything to anybody, you know. So, so the doctors become these people on pedestals who know the answer and never tell us. They just do their thing, you know, or shoot us full of something or give us a pill, but without giving us any uh, any responsibility for ourselves, right? So this this uh, this kind of medicine keeps us in that split of body-mind that we were talking about earlier, that there's you and then there's this problem, which is the body, you know, right. and never the mm -hmm. twain shall meet, you know. <laughs> so anyway, right. the book is really trying to help you um, get past that point of view. Mm -hmm. by, uh, And it's experiential, you know, there's, um, <clears throat> I forget how many recorded audio um, links to the book so that instead of reading the meditations that the exercises in the book are not exercises, they're really sensory meditations. And it's hard to do them and read them at the same time. So every exercise or every meditation rather has a link to the sound of my voice walking, you know, talking you through it so that you can really drop down and feel what I'm talking about. 
and mm -hmm. a number of them uh, also have a, a video. So if there's something that's like a larger movement that people are asked to do, I, I show that with a little video clip. So <clears throat> the book is um, interactive. And so I'm hoping that it's like an experience for people that they'll come away with um, with a new point of view about their body. And I, I'm not... I'm not saying what that point of view should be exactly because each reader is a different person, has comes to it from a different place. I like so. that you said that because we seem to live in a world where, oh, this will fix everybody for whatever that ailment is. You see it advertised so much. And I've gotten to be mm -hmm. on a small personal crusade against experts. Yeah, I know you experts <laughs> out there mean well. Sometimes you're a little overly arrogant. Look. I love Stephen Jobs, you know, the one of the guys was the original creator of Apple, and he there was a time that he was given this small little talk, and he says, you know, you got to take a look at the world and people. And he says, you know, when you see all these inventions and all these great things that have occurred, you know, and and humanity, and then you begin to realize that a lot of these things were created people by people that were really no smarter than you are, and it changes your life. And the fact that we as a society, especially in Western society, have come to a point that we just surrender that. You surrender your body over to an expert, as you mentioned earlier, because you simply don't have the time to learn and understand how it functions, what, why it works the way it does, and to actually maximize its potential. You know, it's like I also, not to make a disconnect, but to a degree it's the same. It's the same thing with a car. It's your car that takes you to where you need to go. Why wouldn't you want to take time, first of all, to learn the basics of how an automobile works, you know, and it changes you when you do, you know, and that way, when you go mm -hmm. to a mechanic, you're not getting scared into making a repair that really, you know, based on your experience of learning about how a car works is really unnecessary. You simply go on, I believe it's this over here. Sure, okay, fixed, and it's done because you took the time, and it's the same thing. Why wouldn't you take the time to explore just how miraculous and genius the human body is in both its mind, body, and spirit interconnected as one integrative whole? But when you come to understand that, especially through wonderful books like yours, Body Mandala, you begin to realize the world becomes more fascinating as you're in it. That probably was a, I don't know, would you say that was kind of a, a unique possible goal of your book as well? Totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thrilled at, at the things that you've said from, you know, I, I don't think you've probably had a whole lot of time to live with a book. I mean, readers tell me they, they keep it on their bedside table and just open it, you know. Yeah. See what's, see what's there. You know, but but you've looked at it probably fairly briefly, and you really you really pulled it in and have been able to share your experience of it. And I'm I'm quite grateful for that, Daniel. That's great. Well, of course, anybody in their eighties, <laughs> anyone in their eighties, you know, should <laughs> uh, hey, pay attention to that. She's doing something right. Uh, listen, Mary. Well, um, yeah. I'm go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm not just 80. I'm, I also have Parkinson's disease. And wow. what's uh, been 
uh, what's been great for me is that because I have spent a, a lifetime cultivating body awareness, there are many problems that come forth through having Parkinson's that I'm able to deal with through my own interoception, you know, um, balance issues and movement issues and, you know, odd quirks in my left foot that I'm quite aware of and can correct because I can feel them and pay attention and know I have power over my left foot, you know? Mm -hmm. So you never know what's going to come at you down the pike. (laughs) And it turns out that for me, body awareness is totally practical. So um, I recommend this book. <laughs> do I? Like I said, I love to say a lot of people will put this at their bedside, maybe just before bed, just flip open the book to anywhere. And if it's somewhere you've read, maybe reread it or uh, flip to a different place and say, well, I didn't know that about, for instance, the skull, or I didn't understand that about the hands and metacarpals, you know, and walking and things like that. And you don't come from an approach to say, this is how you do it. And the only way you come from an approach, this is a suggested way based on how the body was built to move forward and then start paying attention as you do these things. Again, how you perceive and how you're present in Mm -hmm. the world. And it'll change your life, certainly. I hope so. (laughs) Now, I'm sure it has. I hope it will help. Anyway, I I appreciate you very much. Well, thank you, Mary. (laughs) Now, before we go, is there a website, a place where people can get more information, maybe some of your other books as well as uh, Body Mandala? Yeah, my website is healyourposture.com. Healyourposture, all one word, dot com. And I'm on Facebook. I think it's the same, Heal Your Posture. And Instagram, I think it's Body Mandala. I'm not a. I I post on Instagram very seldom, but the the library of posts. If you ever go to Instagram and just go back to the beginning of my posts, when I was um, this is the second edition of the book, and when I put the first edition out, my I had this marketing idea that I could do little body awareness tips. Um, And so some of those tips are still on my Instagram page and I like them quite a lot. So if you scroll back, look for those. Okay. And I will say for the listeners out there, I was going to say for the listeners out there, I just typed in body mandala and you pop right up. So there you go. Easy to get to. (laughs) Okay. That's great. (laughs) <laughs> on the today it's been a lot of fun and i've been sitting up straight well what about that <laughs> that's great so <laughs> thank you so much, happy holidays to you and everyone you thanks we want to thank you the listeners out there for joining us you can discover more at beyond 50 radio.com that is the number 50 we encourage you to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter stay up to date with what's going on in the world of beyond 50 as well as our upcoming shows. I'm Daniel Davis. Thank you for joining us. This is the Beyond 50 radio program. And remember, wherever you are is where you should be.